Chapter 5 of Under Wellington's Command by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Charles Sapp. Under Wellington's Command by G. A. Henty. Chapter 5 An Escape. Well, here we are, tenants, Ryan said cheerfully as the door of their cell closed behind them. And now, what next? The next thing is to look round, Dick. Other matters can wait. One cannot form the remotest idea as to the possibilities of an escape until one has found out everything about the place. I should say that it'll be quite soon enough to discuss it in another couple of months. Now as to the room. There is nothing to grumble at here. Two truckle beds, not altogether luxurious in appearance, but, at any rate, a good deal softer than the ground on which we have been sleeping for months past. A couple of chairs, designed for use rather than comfort, but which will do to sit on while we take our meals. And at other times we can use the beds as sofas, a good-sized piece of carpet, a table, and what looks like a pudding dish to wash in. Things might have been better, and they may have been a great deal worse. As to our food, we must reserve comment until they bring us some. Now as to funds, I had only twenty-five crowns on me when I was captured. You were rather better off, as you had ten pounds in gold and eight crowns in silver. You see, had we given our parole like the others, and gone in for luxurious feeding outside, our stock would soon have given out, and money is an essential for carrying out an escape, when that escape involves perhaps weeks of traveling and certainly disguises of different kinds. We have not a penny too much for that and must resolve to eschew all luxuries except tobacco and perhaps a bottle of wine on Sundays. Our windows, as you observe, are very strongly barred. They look westward, but that range of buildings opposite prevents our getting a view of the sea. One thing is evident at once, that it is no manner used for us to think of cutting through those bars or dislodging them, for we should only, on lowering ourselves, be in the courtyard, and no nearer escape than we were before we began the job. It is a good thing to get at least one point off our mind. Now, Dick, before we go further, let us make an arrangement that we will always talk in French. I know enough of it to be able to assist you, and it will be an amusement, as well as a help to accustom ourselves to talk in it. All right, Ryan said resignedly. But I bargain that for an hour a day we drop it altogether. It would be an awful nuisance, and one must give one's tongues a rest occasionally by letting it straighten itself out a bit. The door now opened, and one of the warders entered with two large bowls of broth, a fair-sized piece of the meat from which it was made, a dish of vegetables, a large piece of bread, and a bottle of wine. This is your supper, messieurs. In the morning, you have coffee and a piece of bread. At twelve o'clock, a meal like this, with a bottle of wine between you. Thank you, Terence said cheerfully. That will do extremely well. Are there any other British officers here? None, except your comrades. There were some naval officers here last week, but they have been sent into the interior. We do not have many prisoners here. Those captured at sea by warships or privateers are generally given to Brest, and so far we have not had many of your nations sent from Spain. There are Spaniards sometimes, but they do not count. Those that are taken are generally drafted into the Spanish corps of our army. Can we buy tobacco? Terence asked. Certainly, monsieur, 
There is a canteen in the courtyard. It is open from eight till nine o'clock in the morning, and from five to six in the evening. But you are not allowed to get things in from the town. But nevertheless, and he smiled, as your comrades are on parole, doubtless, should you need anything beyond what is sold in the canteen, it may chance that they may bring you just the things you want. Thank you. You had better get something from the canteen for yourself, Terence said, handing him a crown. Thank you, monsieur. I have heard from the soldiers who came in with you that you fought bravely with them against the Spanish brigands, and I think that it is very hard that you and your companion should be shut up here after having proved such good comrades. I have a cousin among them. He, like myself, is a native of Bayonne, and, should it be in his power, I am sure that he and his comrades would do anything they could for monsieur, as far, of course, as their duty as French soldiers would allow them. Thanks. By the way, what is your name? Jean Meunier, monsieur. Well, Jean, will you please tell your cousin that I am obliged to him for his good will? It was a pleasure to fight side by side with such brave soldiers, and should an occasion offer, I will gladly avail myself of his services. The detachment is not going further, is it? No, monsieur. They will remain here for perhaps two or three months till the good French air has invigorated them. Then they will join some column marching south again. There is nothing more that you will want tonight, monsieur? No, thank you, Jean. Good evening. Good evening, good sleep. And the warder retired. What is all that jabber about, Terence? Very satisfactory jabber, and jabber that is likely to lead to a very good result. A cousin of his is one of the guard that came down with us. He has told this warder about our fight, and asked him to say that he and his comrades were very angry at our being shut up here, and as much as said that they would aid us to escape, if it was in their power. So we may consider that our first difficulty is as good as arranged. No doubt, in a short time, they will be put on regular garrison duty, and will take their turn in furnishing prison guards. This warder is evidently ready to do anything he can, so we may look upon our escape from prison as a matter of certainty. I don't suppose that, in any case, the guard is a very vigilant one, for they would not expect that prisoners of war would try to escape. At Verdun, and other prisons within a few days' journey of the frontier, it would be different. Well, that is good news, tenants, though I see myself that our difficulties will really begin only when we get out. There is no doubt that the fight with the guerrillas was a lucky thing for us. I would not have missed it for anything, for I must say that there was much more excitement in it than in a battle. At least as far as my experience of a battle goes. At Talavera, we had nothing to do but stick on the top of a hill, watch the French columns climbing up, and then give them a volley or two, and roll them down the hill again, and between times stand to be shelled by Victor's batteries on the opposite hill. I cannot see that there is any fun about that. This fight, too, has turned out a very good thing for us. I expect we should not have been so well treated if it were not been for it and the fact that some of these French soldiers are ready to give us a helping hand is first-rate. You see, it is all your luck, Terence. There never was such a fellow for luck as you are. There is no doubt about that, Terence agreed. Now, Dick, you must really break into French. Tomorrow morning will be time enough for that, Ryan said in a tone of detrimation. I want to talk now, really talk, and I can't do that in French especially what you have just told me. By the way, I don't see myself why we should make this journey through France. Why not try and get a boat, 
and land somewhere on the coast of Spain. I have been thinking of that, Dick, but it seemed to me before altogether too difficult. Still, if we can get help from outside, I don't know why we should not be able to manage it. We should have to go some distance along the Spanish coast, for there are sure to be French garrisons at Bilbao and Santander. But beyond that, I should think that we might land at any little village. Galicia must certainly have been evacuated by the French, for we know that Ney's corps were down in the Tagus Valley, and I should think that they cannot have any great force in the Asturias. The worst of it is, we have not got any money to buy a boat, and if we had, the soldiers could hardly bargain with a fisherman for one. Of course, if we were free, we might arrange with a man to go with us in his boat and pay him so much for his hire for three or four days. We might make our way down the river and steal one, Temmins. Yes, we might do that, but it would be a heavy loss to some poor fellow. Well, I shall look forward to the morning, when we can go out and see about all the prison arrangements. Then you have given up the idea of waiting for two months before you do anything, Terence? Ryan remarked. Certainly. You see, these French convalescents may be marched back again in another month's time, and at present our plans must be formed upon the supposition that they are ready to help us. It would never do to throw away such an opportunity as that. It would be little short of madness to try and get out, unless we had disguises of some sort. My staff officer's uniform and your scarlet would lead us to our arrest at the first village we came to. Besides, before this news, one was willing to wait contentedly, for a time, till some good opportunity presented itself. Now that we have such an unexpected offer of assistance, the sooner we get out of the place, the better. The next morning, they went out into the courtyard of the prison. The soldiers who had been captured with them were walking about in groups, but the sentry who accompanied the two British officers led them through these, and took them up to the top of the wall surrounding the prison. Messieurs, he said, when the others are shut up, you can go where you please, but my orders are you not to communicate with your soldiers. He then fell back some distance, and left them free to wander about on the wall. From this point they had a view over the city. Bayonne was a strongly fortified place, standing on the junction of the Neve and Ardour, and on the south side of the latter river, two miles from its mouth. The Neve ran through the town, and its water supplied the ditches of the encircling wall and bastions. The prison was situated on the Neve, at some three or four hundred yards from the spot where it entered the Ardour. I should say that this quite decides it, Terence said when they had made the circuit of the walls, upon which sentries were placed at short intervals. Once out of the town, the river would be open to us, but it would be next to impossible to pass through those semicircles of fortifications on both sides of the town. You can see the mass of the craft lying at the quays, and though I should not like to rob a fisherman of his boat, I should not feel the smallest scruple in taking a ship's boat, which would be, comparatively, small loss to the owner. The worst of it would be that directly we were found to be missing, and the owner of the boat reported its loss, they might send out some of their gunboats in search of us, and we should very soon be overtaken. Discipline was not very strict in the French army, except when in an enemy's country, and the sentries, knowing well that there was really no occasion for watchfulness, answered willingly the questions that Terence asked them as to the names of places within sight. It must be rather tedious work for you on the wall here, Terence said to one whose post was shielded by a building close by, from observation from below. Very dull, the soldier said, 
and we shall be very glad when we are relieved and marched into spain here we are doing no good there is no chance whatever of the prisoners attempting an escape for if they did get out of here they could get no further but they say that we shall not stop here long and we shall be heartily glad when the order comes they say the convalescents who came in yesterday will take over the prison duties next week terence's motive for speaking to the man was to discover whether they were forbidden to talk and it was satisfactory to find that if there was such a rule it was by no means strictly observed leaning on the parapet he and ryan stood for some time looking at the sea there were many fishing boats dotting the surface and the tapering mass of two schooners could be seen near the mouth of the river i have no doubt that they are privateers terence said they have just the appearance of that fellow we captured on the way out one would not have much chance of getting far on a boat with those fellows after us it seems to me that if it could possibly be managed our safest plan would be to lie quiet in the town for a week or so after we got out then it would be comparatively safe to get hold of a boat and make off in it yes if that could be managed it certainly would be the safest plan if we changed our minds about making off by sea we might then be able to pass out through the fortifications without question of course they would be vigilant for a short time after we were missing but i suppose that at ordinary times the country people would go in and out unquestioned just as in any other town for with no enemy nearer than portugal there could be no occasion whatever for watchfulness terence and his companion had seen nothing of their friends on parole as these they found although lodged in prison for their own convenience were not permitted to have any communication with the other prisoners ten days after they arrived at bayonne the warder who had since he first spoke to them said nothing beyond the usual salutations remarked carelessly the soldiers who came down with you took up the prison duties last night my cousin told me to say that you will know him and four or five of his comrades of the seventy-second of the line all of whom are thoroughly in agreement with him by their saying as you pass them the morning is fair colonel to any of them you can speak when you find an opportunity of doing so unobserved thank you but will it not be safer for them were you to carry my messages no i cannot do that the warder said i think that it is quite right that my cousin and his comrades should do anything in their power to aid those who stood by them when attacked but i wish to know nothing about it it must be between you and them for i must be able to swear that i had no hand in the matter and that i locked you out safely at night you are quite right jean it is much the best plan that it should be so i certainly should not myself like to know that in making my escape i might endanger the life of one who had acted simply from kindness of heart and trust that no suspicion whatever will fall upon you i thank you most heartily for having brought me the message from your cousin and for the good will that you have shown us when terence and ryan went out as usual after breakfast all the sentries they passed saluted as if to one of their officers they of course returned the salute and made a cheery remark to each such as rather a change this from a work up in the hills lad to which each gave a short and respectful answer three of them prefacing it with the words the morning is fair mon colonel two of these had the number of their regiment on their shackle the other who had a deep and scarcely healed scar over the ear only wore a forage cap having evidently lost his shackle when wounded what do you mean by saluting a prisoner 
a french officer when he was passing angrily asked an old soldier you have been long enough in service surely to know the prisoners are not saluted the soldier stood at attention monsieur le capitaine he said i am not saluting a prisoner i am saluting a brave officer whose officers i have obeyed in a hard fight and to whom i and my comrades probably owed our lives a mark of respect is due to a brave man whether a prisoner of war or not the officer passed on without answering and arriving at headquarters reported the circumstances to the general i am not surprised captain espiel the latter replied with a slight smile a french soldier knows how to respect bravery and in this case there is little doubt that but for the assistance of their prisoners it would have gone very hard with that detachment that young officer who strangely enough is a colonel was a prisoner when he fought side by side with his men and it is but natural that they scarcely regard him as one now he has refused to give his parole and i am afraid he means to try to make his escape i am sorry for should he do so he is sure to be captured again the third one of the seventy-second men the one with the forage cap chanced to be posted at the point of the wall that was not overlooked and after he had repeated the formula agreed upon terence said to him you are one of those lads who sent me a message that you would assist me if you could that is so mon colonel you assisted us when we were somewhat hotly pressed and tis but good comradeship to repay such a service if one can we have been thinking it over and although it would not be difficult for you to escape from here we do not see how you are to be got out of the town that is the difficulty i see myself terence replied we cannot hope to pass through the circle of fortifications and were we to take a boat and make off we should be pursued and recaptured to a certainty for of course as soon as our escape was known there would be a hot search made for us there are two things needed the first is disguises the second is a shelter until the search for us slackens after which it would be comparatively easy for us to make off what sort of disguises would you want monsieur if we go by land peasant dresses if by water those of fishermen we have money which i can give you to purchase these that we could do for you monsieur but the hiding place is more difficult however that we will see about i am a native here and have of course many friends and acquaintances in the town when we have made our plans i will let you know i will manage that when it is my turn for duty i will always be posted here and then i can tell you what is arranged and give you whatever is necessary to aid you to make your escape my cousin jean Munier will shut his eyes but he will do nothing himself and i think that he is right for of course he will be the first to be suspected as for us it will be no matter everyone knows how you stood by us and they will guess that some of us had a hand in it but they will never find out which of us was chiefly concerned i expect that soon we shall all be taken off this prison duty for which we shall not be sorry and sent back to spain with the first detachment that comes along but after all one is not so badly off in spain and certainly madrid is a good deal more lively than bayonne i suppose terence said nodding towards their guard who was standing a few paces away gazing over the country he knows nothing about this no monsieur we had kept it to just the men of our own regiment but all feel the same about you being kept a prisoner and there is no fear of his telling any one that you spoke to one man more than another when it is found that you have escaped still it might be as well that you should not speak to me again 
until I tell you that it is a fine morning. For although our own man can be trusted, any of the regular prison warders was to notice anything he would not be slow in mentioning it in hope of getting promotion. Accordingly, Terence made a point of only passing along that part of the wall once a day, and merely saying a word to the soldier, as he did to the others, on occasions when he was on duty. Ten days later, the man replied to his salutation by remarking that it was a fair day. It happened that the man told off to guard them on this occasion was another of the 72nd, and was therefore nothing to be feared from him. I've arranged the matter, monsieur, the soldier said. My sister's husband, Jules Valin, will shelter you. He is a fisherman, and you can be safely hidden in the loft where he keeps his nets and gear. He is an honest fellow, and my sister has taught him into lending his aid so far. And, although he has not promised it yet, I think we shall get him to go down the river with you, so as to reply if you are challenged. You can put him ashore a mile or two along the coast. Now as to the escape, monsieur, he was a sharp saw. With it, you can cut round the lock of your door. There are two outside bolts, whose position I dare say you have noticed. By cutting a hole close to each of them, you can get your hand through and draw them. Here is a short-handed auger, to make a hole for the saw to go through. There are four sentries at night in the courtyard. We shall manage to get all our men on duty tomorrow evening. Our sergeant is a good fellow. If he guesses anything, we'll hold his tongue for I have heard him say more than once that it is monstrous that you should be kept a prisoner. Therefore, you need not be afraid of them. They will take care to keep their eyes shut. I shall be on sentry duty here, and will get the disguises up and a rope. When you have got down, I shall let the rope down, and you will carry it off and take it away with you. Thus, there will be no evidence where you descended. Here are two sharp files, with which you can cut through the bars of your window and remove some of them. Then it will be not be known whether he escaped that way or down the stairs, and the men on sentry in the courtyard at the bottom cannot be blamed. For all the governor will know, you may have gone out through this window into the other courtyard, and got over the wall on that side, so they would have no proof as to which set of men were negligent. No doubt we shall all be talked to, and perhaps kept in the guardroom a few days, but that won't hurt us, and soldiers are scarce enough, so they will hardly keep ten or twelve men long from duty. There are not enough in the town now to furnish all the guards properly, so you need not worry about us. I will give you instructions how to find my sister's house tomorrow night. You must not escape until you hear the bell strike midnight. Our party will relieve the guard at that hour. You see, we have four hours on duty, and as you may have gone either on the first watch, the second, or the third, they will not be able to pitch on us more than the others, so that, in fact, the blame will be divided between forty of us. You will, of course, put on your disguises over your uniforms and destroy your clothes when you get to Jules' house. I thank you very warmly, my good fellow, for running all this risk for me. Here are two hundred francs to pay for the disguises. That'll be more than enough, the soldier said. Jules put it down at a hundred and fifty. Things may cost more than he expects. At any rate, please hand these to him. I can arrange matters with him when I see him. Then at about a quarter past twelve, we will sally out. We will walk on now, lest any of the warders should happen to notice that we have been a long time on this part of the wall. Ryan had understood but little of what was happening, and when Terence told him what had been arranged, he exclaimed, Well, after this, tenants, I will never say a word against a Frenchman. 
here are these soldiers going to run a lot of risk, and are certainly are getting into a row for us, merely because we did the best we could against those wretched Spaniards, and without getting any reward whatever. But they must know the prisoners are not likely to have any money to spare about them. Quite so, Ryan, and what is more, if I had a hundred pounds in my pocket, I would not offer them a penny, for certainly they would take it as an insult if I did so. They would feel that it would be a sort of a bribe, and though they are ready to help us as comrades, I am sure they would not do it for money. I sincerely hope they won't get into any serious row. As he said, authorities won't be able to tell which party was on guard at the time we went, and they could hardly put the whole of them under arrest, at least not keep them under arrest. No doubt that there will be a close search in the town for us, but there is little fear of our being discovered. Our dangers won't begin until we are fairly afloat. I know nothing about sailing. I have rowed a boat many a time in Athlon, but as for sailing, I have never once tried it. Nor have I, Ryan said, but I suppose there is no difficulty about it. You put out the sail, and you take hold of the rope at the corner, and off you go. It sounds all right, Dicky, and I dare say we shall manage to get along somehow, but these things are not half as easy as they look. Now we had better have four or five hours sleep this afternoon, for I expect it will take us the best part of the night to file through the bars. You must not cut quite through them, but just leave them so that we can finish them off in a short time, tomorrow night. But the water might notice them. He is not likely to look very sharply, Dicky. But at the same time, it is just as well not to put too great a strain on his loyalty. We will keep a piece of bread over from our supper, work it up into a sort of paste, fill up any cuts we make, and rub it over with dirt till it well matches the bars. Certainly they have planned the affair capitally, so as to throw doubt as to which way we descended, and so divide the blame between as many as centuries as possible. It took four hours' work that night to get through the bars. They were most careful not to let any of the filings fall outside, for had any of them dropped into the courtyard below, they might well catch the eye of a warder, and in that case an examination of all the windows of the rooms above would certainly be made at once. Before the warder's visit the next morning, the holes had been filled up with bread and worked into a putty, and smeared over with dust, which so nearly matched the bars that it could not be observed except by a careful examination. The next day they abstained from saying more than a passing word to any of the French soldiers. They waited after being locked up for the night for two or three hours, and then began their work at the door. This saw was a very narrow one, and when they had made a hole with the auger, they found no difficulty in cutting the wood. Therefore they thought it was well to leave that for the last thing, and so betook themselves to their files, and soon removed enough of the bars to enable a man to crawl through. Then they returned to the door, and had cut round the lock, and made holes through which they could pass their hands to draw back the bolts, a short time before the clock struck twelve. Then they went to the window and listened. They heard the bell strike midnight, and then a stir below, as the sentries were relieved, waiting for a few minutes, until all had become quiet again. They drew back the bolts, took off their shoes, and went noiselessly down the stairs. The night was very dark, and although they could hear the tread of the sentries in the courtyard, they could not make out their figures. They crossed the yard, keeping as far as possible from the sentries. They had no doubt that all would happen as arranged, but there was of course the possibility that at the last moment some change might have been made, and it was in any case as well that the men there should be able to declare honestly that they had seen no one. 
They were glad when they reached the archway leading to the stairs that led to the top of the wall. Mounting, they kept along the parapet, stooping so that their figures should not show against the sky, for, dark as it was below, they might have been noticed had they not done so. Presently they saw the sentry. Diable, messieurs, he said in a low tone as they came up to him. You gave me a start. I was expecting you, but did not hear your footsteps, nor see you, and had you been enemies, you might very well have seized an army before I could give the alarm. Well, here are your clothes. They soon pulled the blue canvas leggings over their breeches, and over these the high boots in which their feet felt lost. A rough blouse and a fisherman's oilskin cap completed the disguise. They put their boots into the capricious pockets in the blouses, and were then ready to descend. They had left their shakos in their cell when they started. While they had been putting on their clothes, the sentry had fastened the rope and lowered it down. We are ready now, Jacques, Terence said. Goodbye, my good friend. We shall never forget the kindness that you have shown us, and shall remember with gratitude all our lies how a party of French soldiers were ready to show themselves good comrades to men who had fought by their sides, even though the two nations were at war with each other. We shall always feel kindness towards the French uniform in future, and if you or any of your comrades of the 72nd should chance to fall into British hands, and you could send word to me or Mr. Ryan, I could promise you that we will do all we can to have you released at once and sent back, or to aid you in any other way. We have done but our duty to brave comrades, the soldier said. Now as to where to find my cousin, you will go down that street below and take the third turning on the right. That will lead you down to the wharves. Keep along by the houses facing them until you have come to the fourth turning. It is a narrow lane, and there is a cabaret at each corner of it. My cousin's house is at twelve on the left-hand side. He will be standing at the door. You will say to him as you pass, It is a dark night and he will then let you in. Don't walk as if you were in a hurry. Fishermen never do that. It is not likely that you will meet anyone, but if you do, and he sees two fishermen hurrying, it will strike him as singular. And when there came news of two prisoners having escaped, he might mention the matter, which might lead to a search in the right quarter. Will you go first, Ryan, or shall I? Terence said. Just as you like. Well, then, you may as well go. Then I can talk with this good fellow till it is my turn. Ryan shook the soldier's hand heartily, took hold of the rope, slung himself over the parapet, and began the descent. Terence and the soldier leaned over and watched him until they could no longer make out the figure with certainty. As soon as the tension of the rope slackened, Terence grasped Jacques's hand, said a few more words of thanks, and then followed his companion. As soon as he reached the ground, he shook the rope, and a minute later, it fell on the ground beside him. He coiled it up, and then they started down the street. Following the instructions that they had received, in ten minutes they reached the end of the lane. We were to throw away the rope, were we not? Ryan said. Yes, but now we are here, there can be no use in our doing so. If a length of rope were found lying in the road, people would wonder who had thrown it away. Besides, it is a good stout piece of new rope, and may be of use to the fishermen. Counting the doors carefully as they went along, they came to the twelfth, where before they reached it, the red glow from a pipe showed that a man was standing outside. It is a dark night, mate, Terence said in a low tone as he came up to him. That is right, the man replied. Come in. He stood aside as they entered, 
closed the door behind them, and then lifted a piece of old canvas thrown over a lighted lantern. End of chapter 5. Recording by Charles Sapp.